All right. How you doing, Arizona Nation? Welcome back for another edition of the Arizona Podcast. I'm your host, Dax. Gabe and I are excited to bring you another episode after a long off-season. Please tackle 14 for Arizona. That's the difference in the football game. He was amazing. Tate is doing things that I see Reggie Bush didn't do, Matt Leiner didn't do, Marcus Mariota didn't do, Marcus Allen didn't do. He's won four straight Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week awards. an absolute strike. A pass that couldn't have been thrown any more accurately from Tate. Make sure you guys kind of have to do this week uh, to make sure you can contain him on Saturday. Right. How you doing, Gabe? I can't complain. How are you? I'm outstanding. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a long while. But it's kind of nice to take a little break during the the, uh, slow summer months and just recharge your batteries because it's tough recording these things in the middle of the night and whatnot. Um, Remember, we are now on uh, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Uh, Remember, we are the Arizona podcast. That's Echo Romeo Alpha podcast. Uh, When you enter your search, remember to follow Gabe Encinas at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon Combs at U of A Bear Down 07 and Javi at Players Program U. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Podcast Zona. Visit us on Facebook at the Arizona Podcast. Email the podcast at ArizonaPodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to email, tweet, uh, Facebook posting comments or questions. We've got a couple questions from Twitter already. And uh, finally, be sure to visit playersprogramu.com and azdsrecruiting at weebly.com for all the latest on Zona football. All right, Zona, uh, Gabe, let's, uh, let's get rolling with our first edition of the 12-pack. Let's go ahead and crack open a delicious 12-pack. Oh, what is the malted liquor? What gets you drunk or quicker? What comes in bottles or in cans? Beer. Can't get enough of it. Beer. How we really love it. Beer. Makes me think I'm a man. Uh, Bill Connolly's Pac-12 uh, review. Um, one of the first things he brought up in his review is that while the Pac-12 was almost unanimously renowned as football's worst power conference last year, it, it really wasn't in terms of S&P average. That uh, dishonor actually belonged to the ACC, which uh, featured both more teams ranked worse than 70th, uh, four to the Pac-12's three, and fewer teams ranked better than 35th, um, with two to the Pac-12's five. Uh, you know, he goes on to talk about, and I think this is a uh, common refrain amongst college football fans, how, you know, inclusion in the college football 
uh, playoff is the is the litmus test of success in college football, and because Clemson won the national championships, it kind of whitewashes a ACC. Um, what's your takes on the Pac-12 and how people um, interpreted their success or lack thereof last season? Yeah, I mean, I guess it. I mean, for me, I think it really comes down to kind of the whole like SEC model where like half the teams are preseason ranked and uh, for them they're going to have to lose a couple games in a row or uh, just kind of tank in at one point in the season to get out of the rankings and you know if you have a bunch of Pac-12 teams preseason ranked and you know they all go eight and four ish seven and five they're still in that conversation to be ranked throughout the year Um, so I think that's what kind of hurts I feel like last year um, it was just Washington for the most part maybe uh, Oregon maybe USC I'm not too familiar or remember too much but um, yeah I guess the the college football playoff definitely uh, holds a lot of weight for your appearances and your conference and uh, how you do in bowl season as well uh but i mean i think the pac-12 was just one of those conferences where i mean usc is down ucla is down um stanford was down last year as well but everyone just kind of beats up on each other the south there's really no uh clear-cut dominant team you can have a bunch of teams kind of middle of the road with a between five and nine wins and everyone just there's there's just so much i guess circle of life there where everyone's just beating each other and that kind of hurts each other and then you have uh you know some dumb games two years ago when usc lost to wazoo at home on that thursday night and um yeah there's just a lot of nonsense that goes on but for me i always just think about how the sec gets ranked every single year preseason they'll have six seven eight teams preseason ranked and um you know obviously they start um you know maybe four and oh with with their non-conference i think they go three and oh and then on the back end of their schedule they get their other non-conference but yeah they're playing um, more less conference games than the back 12 too yeah yeah um so i mean i think it's just kind of i think this year they have a couple more preseason ranked teams you have that washington utah oregon uh kind of stacked up there i don't know if you or wazoo is up there at all uh i don't have uh, the like a p ratings but going by projected sp s&p plus to your point like alabama's one georgia's two uh lsu's four Auburn's eight, Mississippi State's ten. Um, as it goes from uh, the Pac-12, Washington's number one at fifteen. Utah is uh, getting a lot of love at seventeen, and Oregon's uh, up there at twenty with the expectations um, related to uh, Herbert and um, that big recruiting class up there. And then USC comes in at twenty ninth with Stanford at thirty second. Dub okay. is at I mean uh, uh, Wazoo's at thirty six. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think this year there's a, a couple more teams who would be uh, closer to getting ranked. Uh, they'll be in that receiving votes category and have to battle their way in there. But uh, hopefully this year it's it's a little bit better and more competitive at the top, um, which makes it I guess a more uh, desirable league or just more quality. There, there's more quality perceived I guess at that point. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, for a long time, Alabama was really uh, carrying the rest of the SEC, and now Georgia's established itself. But since they don't play each other during the regular season, they get that SEC playoff game, and so they can pretty much walk into a, a playoff game even with one loss uh, since the the two different conferences um, don't really have that much parity at the top. Um, so let's jump over to the Pac-12 and just spend a few minutes on that. Um, Oregon's uh, pretty hot. I mentioned they're uh, ranked 20th in the S&P Plus projections for the year um, with a 13.8 improvement. A lot of that's uh, related to the hype around uh, Herbert and um, the big recruiting class at that program. What's your general takes? Do you think they should be the darling of the Pac-12 this year? Uh, to be honest, not really. And for whatever reason, I don't. Maybe it's just because I love Mike Leach and his offense. But I always feel like Washington State. I mean, last year, um, you know, they put together a hell of a season. And this year, I mean, they're without Minshew, and, and we'll see how that goes. But I mean, for the most part, it seems like he's a, just a plug-and-play type of guy. So uh, I really like Washington State. I don't know if they'll win the conference, but um, I definitely have a lot more confidence in them than. I guess the media or rankings would suggest, uh, but for Oregon, I Herbert, he's, I, I'm not sold that he's kind of that number one overall pick. Uh, if he still is, I don't know if that hype is still surrounding him. I haven't seen a whole lot, uh, regarding this upcoming draft on him, but, uh, not a huge believer in Cristobal as it is. Uh, and then if, even if you go over to Washington, I'm not sold on Chris Pearson being kind of that, college football playoff caliber type of guy i think i mean he's done a phenomenal job at sustaining success at washington um but i just it's it's hard for me to think that you know they can run the table uh and at legs at the pac-12 with just one or two losses to win the north um and then stanford shaw and, and company they had a, a rough year last year uh, I don't know what their exact expectations are going into this year, but uh, I think it'll kind of be, I, I don't know. I feel like the winner of the North could definitely come out to be a nine win team. I think those four teams could just beat up on each other and it'll all come down to tiebreakers there. Um, in the South, uh, Utah has been getting a lot of love. Um, they, they return a lot of guys and uh, the only team still that, or no, did they win it? They won the South last year, right? Yes, sir. That was them. Yeah. So they finally got the South. And so uh, we'll see if they can get it back to back here. Um, even after all those injuries they had last year. Uh, I, but I, I mean, I guess the South is, is wide open for them to take it. UCLA doesn't look like they'll make a huge improvement. USC, there's just a lot of chaos going around there. Um, ASU's got a lot of turnover on offense. They're starting a true freshman quarterback, so maybe he's kind of the wild card that could lead them. And then I don't really expect Colorado to do much. And then uh, Arizona can, uh, you know, they've kind of got a ceiling uh, in my mind. So uh, I think it is just kind of Utah by default there in the South. All right. That's. Uh, I was going to ask you if you thought that they were going to sustain their success, and it sounds like you think they're the front runner in the South. Uh, let's just talk about uh, Bill Connolly goes down his list of his best offensive players by team. Uh, he 
ultimately elected, uh, you know, after listing off some of the, the ones you would think, uh, Khalil Tate at Arizona, you know, Benjamin at Arizona State, uh, Justin Herbert at Oregon State, um, Isaiah Hodges at o- o- Oregon State, uh, Costello at Stanford, uh, Joshua Kelly at UCLA, Amon Ross St. Brown at USC, Zach Moss at Utah, um, Washington's uh, Salvan Ahmed, and Desmond uh, Patman at Washington State, but ultimately he decided to take LaVisca Schultz as his uh, Offensive Player of the Year. Do you disagree with him on that one, or do you have someone you'd like to nominate as a as your Offensive Player of the Year? Uh, I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm surprised that Justin Herbert isn't there, um, just because of the crazy amount of hype around Oregon. Uh, I mean, I don't disagree. Um, I feel like, I mean, I I respect him for for going out and picking a team that's or picking a guy on a team that is projected to win like three or four games. Um, but I mean, he's an absolute playmaker. And, uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's tough to, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's fair. It's going down the list here. It's tough for me to pick someone else who, uh, I mean, you could make arguments for each guy, but I mean, it's hard for me to pick against him at this point. Uh, same for defense. He has some uh, pretty notable names. Uh, Arizona fans would obviously recognize Colin Schooler, um, Evan Weaver at Cal, um, Darnay Holmes at UCLA, uh, and and so on and so forth. I won't, I won't uh, bore everybody with the entire list. They could look it up. But he picks Evan Weaver at Cal as his defensive player of the year. you have any thoughts on that? Um, uh, yeah, I'm looking at this list here. Uh, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, he had a phenomenal year last year. I think he's going to be a junior this year still. So I believe he was in that Colin school group. He might be a senior. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but for me, it, it would be between, I mean, maybe it's just because I watch Colin every week, but, um, you know, I feel like you could definitely shade towards Colin schooler there, but, uh, Evan Weaver certainly a, a, a good pick out of that group, I'd say. Um, he looking. lost his uh, linebacker mate there, Kuzniak. I wonder if that's going to impact his productivity. But yeah. as we get into Cal's uh, defensive preview on this episode, they're absolutely stacked everywhere on the defense. It's pretty amazing what they're bringing back after a very impressive defensive performance uh, last year. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But I mean, yeah, Cal's Cal's defense will be their backbone, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But um, yeah, I mean, Evan Weaver was a stud last year, and uh, it was very painful to watch him last year as well, considering he had Arizona as top three um, and elected to go to Cal. But if there's anybody else on this list, I would think it's Colin Schooler. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased. <laughs> he would probably be the best pick, but I can't complain with Evan Weaver as the next guy. So he goes on to look at, um, you know, the trends from the last five years, look at at um, recruiting, uh, returning production, and then projected S&P Plus. And if, if you go down the Pac-12 from uh, the 15th ranked uh, Washington Huskies down to the 105th ranked uh, Oregon State Beavers, there's uh, very few uh, programs that have um, a returning production that outstrips uh, their recruiting. And there's some noticeable teams that um, 
have um, a, a significant drop off between their recruiting and their production. So even uh, Washington has a five-year average of 18 in the Pac-12 with a 16 in returning production. Um, Oregon, 1326. Um, USC, 1638. Even Stanford, uh, 21 to 39. ASU, uh, 31 to 53. Um, so there's quite a few programs that have vastly uh, underperformed, especially at the top of the Pac-12. Do you think that's a, uh, uh, any sort of a, a reflection on the coaching um, in those schools, or do you think that's sort of an inevitable uh, aspect of recruiting where a, a lot of uh, the, the averages don't pan out over time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's it's just the averages not panning out over time, but also, I mean, the Pac-12 has been, I, I mean, I guess down, you could say, for the last few years. It just hasn't been, I guess, the notable talent that has been across the board, I'd say, throughout all 12 teams. Um, I, I do find it a little interesting just because, I mean, some of these, t- like ASU hasn't, well, I guess they have recruited fairly well over the last few years uh, under Todd that's, Graham. That's like their 10-year averages right there in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty impressive to see that uh, high of a ranking for them. But 53 uh, in returning production. Right. So, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting little pull right there. Uh, this is my first time really looking at these guys. And then you look at, like, SC with a 16 average and then a 38 in production. I think even more interesting than that, you look at, like, the exceptions to the rule, like Utah with an average of 40 and a 15 in returning production and a 17 right. ranking. Or even Arizona, you know, we give a lot of grief to how the recruiting goes in our player development. But, you know, a 55 average recruiting and a 45 in returning production with a 52 production. You know, they're not underperforming as much as several of the programs in the Pac-12. And so, you know, you look at like Washington, uh, you know, they're pretty much a break even. But even Stanford, I was surprised to see such a difference between the recruiting and production. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in regards to Arizona, I mean, I think it is kind of a factor where, I mean, they're just ranked so low where it's like, all right. uh, I mean, the offense over the last few years has been uh, pretty solid with the exception of, I guess, 2016. But even then, still led the pack in rushing. Um, But I guess your your basis is just so low at 55 where – I mean, there's a lot more room to improve, I guess you could say. Um, but USC, I think that could probably be attributed to coaching. Um, Stanford, that is, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Stanford, that is pretty interesting, especially. Um, I mean, they and they do take in smaller classes as well. It feels like um, they redshirt a lot and, of guys. They keep them there all four years. It's strange, huh? Yeah. So, so that's interesting to see. And of course, Washington state, um, I mean, they, they recruit even worse than Arizona uh, under Mike Leach, but I mean, he gets the most out of his guys and his system works. So um, yeah. So uh, Utah jumps from 40 to 15 while uh, Washington state goes from 61 to 29. So a 32-point jump uh, for Washington State's uh, pretty impressive uh, differential recruiting to production. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Oregon State going 66 to 105. Yikes. (laughs) 
Yeah, that was a rough run for those guys. I wasn't going to pick on them. I wasn't going to kick them all. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, UCLA is like the classic. I mean, USC is largely underperformed at these five-year averages. But, I mean, if you want to go someplace and underperform, UCLA is your school, 34 and 68. They're they're cooking with gas down there. So, uh, just interesting to kind of look at, at how those yeah. things come to fruition. Um, projected uh, conference, uh, conference averages uh, on S&P Plus for the year. SEC is going to be up 18.1. Um, or uh, plus 18.1. That's a slight reduction from 2018, but we rattled off all the teams in the top 10. So, you know, get ready for the ad nauseum SEC talk. In order, then it's Big 10, uh, Big 12, Pac-12, and then ACC um, at plus 9, 0.76, 0.72, and 0.66. So the Pac-12 is not that far off the Big 12 and the Big 10, oh, excuse me, the Big 12, and then they're quite different than the SEC and Big 10. So I think that we all kind of, with the exception of ACC having Clemson as their front runner and sort of the flagship competition for Alabama, you know, I think the the Pac-12, uh, you know, I, I think we all appreciate that the SEC and Big Ten bring a different level of football, um, but we're not that far off the Big 12 and, and certainly ahead of the ACC. So I don't I don't think the typical downtrodden attitude about the Pac-12 is necessarily justified. And as you look at overall projected S&P, a lot more teams in the Pac-12 are leaning on defense than they have traditionally. And, and I would uh, put that up against the fact that we haven't had quite the com- uh, quarterback uh, recruiting we've had in the past. Do you have any thoughts on that, Gabe? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of see t- two sides here, and maybe it's just because of a lack of coaching at some places and then just a lack of talent in others. But uh, and but then you have Cal, who's, who's really holding it down. But where I was going with that first part is just sometimes, like, I mean, or maybe it is uh, just the product of the defense being better, but I do feel like offenses have uh, slowed down quite a bit in in the Pac-12, um, aside from Washington State. Uh, I mean, Arizona hasn't been putting up huge numbers like they once were. Um, you know, Colorado isn't really known to light up the scoreboard. Uh, UCLA's been pretty rough the last, I mean, even with Josh Rosen. Um, and during those years, it wasn't a great offensive performance. And uh, Utah, I, I mean, Oregon hasn't really been the Oregon that we've known. Um, in Utah, they've they're more of that defensive steadiness with Cal, uh, at least recently for Cal. Um, Stanford, they're kind of a hit or miss. They'll either they'll either win, you know, a thirteen to seven ball game, or they can get up to 34 28 type of games but um i feel like the the offense i mean and maybe it is just great defense um but i feel like you know prior to this question my um my thoughts would have been yeah i think the offenses are just kind of down um but then you do have those consistent programs like utah stanford uh, I guess Washington as well, and then you so, can throw so in just Cal a, now. Just a dovetail on that. So, offense twenty-five, defense sixteen, and ranking, uh, rankings on S and P um, for Washington, Utah, offense twenty-seven, defense twentieth, uh, Stanford twenty-seven, and excuse me, thirty-seven and thirty-nine. So they were a little more. Um, 
they were throwing the ball a lot more uh, last year than they typically would have. But point being that with the exception, you noted Washington State offense ranked 20th, defense ranked 70th. A lot more teams are leading on their defenses maybe than they would have in the past. California being the prototypical example with an offense at 125, but a defense of five with an, a projection of 60 as a ranking. So they, you know, they clearly completely leaned on their defense. Oh, yeah, their offense was miserable. Yeah, so it's just an interesting change because the Pac-12 has always been so uh, touted for its quarterback play, maybe a lack of defense, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how you kind of fall out on the advanced stats uh, aspects of things, but we're, I'm going to try and lean on them quite a bit uh, more. Um, where's your position on what's and this is, you know, I presume a pretty close to home question with you being an accountant, bring to the table in, um, in college football, uh, projections and, um, summary of the season. Uh, you know, for me, I'm not too much of an advantage. It is interesting, I guess, because I'm, I'm a numbers guy, but for me, advanced stats, I'm not really all into it. I suppose for me, uh, I guess I'm just more of a visual person and, and I just kind of make my assessment. I mean, I watch a disgusting amount of college football. So, I mean, just whatever I'm, I'm watching, that's just kind of how I'll assess it. I think the number, like I'll look at these numbers now and it's kind of the first time I've seen some of these numbers and it's very interesting to kind of look at that. But, um, you know, it's going into a season or, or looking back on a season. It's not something that I, uh, really look into. Um, and I guess, you know, in the off season, it's hard. I guess that's all you really can do um, just because there's nothing to actually watch. But um, for me, it, it's, it's interesting, but something that I don't really um, take too much into account. I just kind of week one, I'll just watch all that I can and make my assessments. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. He points out just a few examples I'll throw out there for the listeners so they can, you know, think about it. Because I think that, you know, all mathematical models obviously have bias, but, you know, I think they're really good at telling you what happened. Um, and he even points out that he feels like it's much better in judging who's overvalued and who's undervalued. Um, but I, I don't know that the prediction ability of them are all that we always chalk it up to be. And that's the beauty of watching the games themselves is the surprise is the best part. But he noted that the S&P Plus uh, highly underrated Northwestern at 68th and Syracuse at 40th, despite having uh, good win totals. And they continue to undervalue it with the Wildcats at 57th and uh, Syracuse at 56th. And he also pointed out that um, the models projecting the Huskers at 45th, uh, but they're they're getting plenty of top 25 votes from people. So I, I do think that those sort of historical biases, you know, like we see with SC here more regionally, uh, definitely can be something that we tend to lose ourselves in. Um, and so two teams to keep an eye on that he feels like are sleepers by the number are uh, Texas and Tennessee. So let's keep an eye on that trend over the course of the season and see how that plays out for him. Um, I wanted to go through our Pac-12 uh, preview and um, do our over-under bets for the year. We're going to get um, uh, over-under numbers from the guys who couldn't make the uh, podcast tonight and Brandon and Javi, and we'll, we'll get those up uh, on Twitter and out for everyone to uh, peruse. But we're going to do it in reverse alphabetical order, and we're going to start with the Washington State uh, Cougs. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. Gabe's adopted team for the year. 
Um, head coached by um, Mike Leach, as you all know. This is his seventh year with an overall record of 49 and 40. Uh, 2018, he ended up at 11 and 2 with a 31st, a 31st place SP Plus ranking. He's projected to go 7 and 5 this year with a 36 SP Plus. So, um, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how much Leach was actually a candidate uh, for the University of Arizona job, but when uh, he and Rich Rod were brought up as possible retreads at the program, um, I, you know, I was listening to Jody Ayler, who was on the radio at the time in Tucson, and he pointed out how Leach had um, pretty much survived off of his out-of-conference uh, schedule wins, and I kind of bought into that narrative. I thought we don't want someone who you know has you know perhaps kind of left, uh, lived on the leftovers in a not at the time very competitive big 12 and um and i felt like you know we maybe dodged a bullet getting leech um i couldn't have been wrong more wrong as um he's uh just incredibly turned around um what the um ad at wazoo called one of the worst athletic programs um in the uh, in the country, and so he's now had four consecutive years of improvement in his program. Uh, when he first uh, took over at Texas Tech, uh, he averaged seven wins for his first two seasons, then 8.4 over his next five, and then 9.3 over the last three. And it took him uh, nine years to go to double-digit wins at Lubbock. At Wazoo, he did it in his seventh years. Um, he's had some pretty significant uh, turnover. Um, with his uh, team, he's had nearly 10 new assistants, uh, including a new defensive coordinator to replace Alex Grinch. Um, um, and on top of that, um, he had to uh, deal last year with the uh, preseason death of uh, Tyler Holinsky. Um, you know, early in the season, they dropped that controversial, uh, quote, blocked um, field goal, the way that Clay Helton runs the plays where the uh, the def- the blocker falls down and his guy runs in and blocks the – you remember that one? That oh, yeah. Press conference from Clay Helton. Um, that's how we run it. When the other blocker falls down, we block it every time. And, uh, of course, you know, he hasn't figured out um, Washington with a, his annual Apple Cup loss. Uh, but he swept the other uh, 11 games. Uh, they beat Pac-12 champion, South champion Utah. They beat Oregon for the fourth straight year, and I was surprised to, to hear that. And uh, by double digits for the third straight year, beat Stanford for the third straight year, and they just seem to have Stanford's number every year. I think it's one of those, you know, big, slow, powerful Stanford versus fast um, um, small um, Washington State that spreads it out, and it's just a bad match. And then uh, they survived the Alamo Bowl against Iowa State, and they finished 10th in the AP poll, which is their best finish in 15th years. Um, what was your take on Washington State seasons last year, Gabe? Uh, yeah, I mean, I started to grow an affection for Wazoo last year. Um, and I'm, I just, I, I love the offense that they run there and just, I mean, they're going to, I mean, I, then they always somehow just reload at quarterback. They'll plumb in and then they'll be launching it 70 times a game and running it 10 or 12 times a game. And, and they're going to beat you every time. And like you said, Mike, which has been improving each of the last seven years that he's been here. Um, and he does it without 
any like star power very rarely do they get you know a top 500 600 kid in there um you know they're just kind of i don't i don't even know where they specifically recruit out of um or where the majority of their guys come from but i mean he just fits guys where they need to be and and he has a lot of success and last year uh, I think towards the end of the season, that's when I started watching and paying attention to them a lot more. Um, I just really thought that they could try to pull this out and and make a run for the North. And so uh, I think just kind of the, the way that they finished their season last year, especially with that Iowa State win, uh, I really liked Iowa State last year as well. Um, I think that kind of just has me leaning more wazoo as we enter this season. I think there's just a lot of hype or there's been a lot of hype around Washington and um, Oregon as well. Now that they have recruiting classes and Herbert coming back. And I just don't think that Washington state's getting a lot of love for as much as they should. Yeah. I think it's definitely an underrated, underrated program. So, um, uh, Gubred, do you think I said that remotely correctly? Uh, Gubrud, yeah, I, we'll roll with it. Gubrud. Um, so if you, if you look at uh, Washington State's offense, it's all about passing and efficiency, which isn't surprising in an air raid model. Uh, Gubrud uh, transferred to Washington State after three years at the ever-prevalent uh, Eastern Washington University. Uh, he's a pretty athletic guy. He put up 99 non-sack rushing yards while throwing for 475 yards uh, when the Eastern Washington University Eagles uh, upset uh, Coach Leach's Cougs back in 2016. Um, if you look at Washington State's offense, while the average uh, FBS team runs the ball about 60% of the time on standard downs, Wazoo only does it about 30% of the time. And while the average team runs about 35% of the time on passing down, Wazoo runs about 18% of the time. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Gabrud uh, maybe scrambles a little bit more, but I don't think uh, Leach is going to be fundamentally changing his system. And there's been some interesting um, discussion around how now that he's had sex success with multiple um, transfer quarterbacks that that might be an ongoing model for him going forward that, you know, he has a lot of confidence in his ability to bring someone in um, and get him ready for his system as long as they have significant experience. Wazoo's got a bunch of high efficiency uh, wide receivers like Tay Martin, Borghini, uh, Jamar uh, Calvin, uh, and in Aesop, uh, Winston Jr. and Desmond uh, Patman. They've got some vertical threats that um, really allow the uh, air raid attack to add a vertical component to it uh, along with its um, horizontal component. So containment and strong tackling are just about the only way you're going to get off the field. You know, we, we uh, when we obviously got blown out with these guys last year you know it was one of those you, you you're damned if you do if you damned if you don't if you don't blitz and get pressure he's um you know you're gonna get picked apart but if um but if you did blitz uh, they had a good chance of burning you so there's really no um good defensive solution which beyond uh, just hoping you can get pressure on the quarterback quickly and almost no one's ever able to do that against Wazoo. They ranked first in the nation in sack, uh, sack rate allowed at 1.9%. Even on blitz downs uh, like second and super long, third and five or more, opponents uh, only uh, sacked uh, Minshew uh, at 4.1% of the time, which is 11th in FBS. 
Um, they uh, did lose uh, all-conference left tackle Andre Dillard. Uh, he's a first-round pick of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, but they still have right tackle uh, Abram Lucas returning after uh, getting second-team all-conference honors as a freshman and three other starters back, too. Um, I don't think that their line's going to be a big adjustment um, given the nature of the system. Uh, any thoughts on how they might change the uh, offense with a, a, run, a, a more athletic quarterback? I mean, I think it certainly makes them a lot more dangerous. I mean, they're running five wide every time. And, I mean, if you're just sending them all deep, uh, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the defense you're playing. Uh, Arizona, I'm sure they're going to hit them with a three-man rush every single time. for. We went to minutes. a four-man line, Gabe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully they can get four hats on there. But, uh, I mean, if you're sending five downfield, I mean, inevitably you would think that he's going to have a little bit of room to run, and that's just going to add another element. Um, you know, I, I don't think there will really be any RPO there. But, um, I mean, him just being able to scramble is just going to create more opportunities for sure. Yeah, it's scary to think about somebody could scramble out of there and, and hurt you with all those receivers running all over the place. And you're, if you're playing man, you're in trouble. So, uh, you know, Washington, uh, Washington State lost uh, Grinch, who uh, went to Ohio State to become the co-coordinator in 2017. And uh, Tracy Clays came in and it was uh, inconsistent in his um, first year at the um, OC. Um, the Cougs held five opponents to 20 or fewer points um, and went 5-0 and in those games. But they gave up seven point yards per play and a 48% success rate in um, their two losses. Um, but Oregon State laid 37 points at 5.6 yards per play. Stanford had 38 points at 6.7 yards per play. And Iowa State only 26 points, but seven point uh, yards per play as well. Uh, pass defense is good, as you'd imagine. They're practicing against them, the 33rd in passing marginal efficiency, first in passing down sack rate. Um, so if you fell behind the change, uh, your quarterback was likely to get hit. Um, but if you're decent at running the ball, uh, you don't have to pass. And Wazoo was 115th in marginal running efficiency. And once you crossed in the red zone, the, the Cougs weren't that efficient. Uh, they were 122nd in success rate between the 11 and 20 and 107th inside the 10. And I would uh, put a lot of this up to their defensive recruiting. They're very uh, aggressive about getting smaller um, quicker defensive linemen like uh, Hercules who uh, do a lot of gap penetration and certainly that would argue towards their ability to get to the quarterback and sack them but is it particularly efficient against a rush and in red um red zone uh situations um they're pretty good on uh the two deep this year of the 12, 11 players to make 20 tackles on the team last year they returned seven um Plus, of the six players to record at least uh, three sacks, um, four are back. So they've got in Will Rogers the third, linebacker Dominic uh, Silvels, Willie Taylor the third, and Jihad Woods. Um, none of them are se seniors, uh, so Wazoo's going to have a good uh, pass rush for a while. Um, but it might continue to have poor run defense. Uh, Will Rogers the third, and in. And then Namdi uh, Aguayo uh, do return up front, and so does uh, sophomore Missa Ona Alopuita Pai, who had uh, two and a half sacks with his 6.5 tackles. But last year's uh, top two defensive tackles uh, don't return. Um, 
and only a, a couple of the likely contributors weigh more over weigh in over over 280 pounds, and none of their um, D line comes in over 300. With their biggest player, 290 pound Jesus Echeverria. Um, and none of the linebackers top 235 pounds. So to the point of them being a smaller, faster unit, uh, that bears out just based on the stats. Uh, they have a veteran uh, safeties in Skylar Thomas and Jalen Thomas, uh, excuse me, Jalen Thompson. Um, combined, they had four tackles for lost, f- uh, four INTs, and 10 pass breakups. Um, they return uh, corner Marcus Strong with two tackles for loss, three INTs, and five pass breakups. Uh, but depth has cons- uh, thinned quite a bit. No other returnee logged more than 6.5 tackles. And they, they did bring in uh, four uh, JUCO DBs uh, to try to help bolster that uh, back unit. What's your thoughts on the defense for Wazoo? Uh, it'll be interesting without Grinch this year. But I don't mind their recruiting philosophy in terms of you know kind of the lighter side and it's just kind of the scheme that they have that works for them uh i mean it was it would have been nice to to have that same utilization back when you know arizona i mean there was a dark time where we had like parker zeller uh, Luca Bruno and Justin Belknap as your starting front three, uh, averaging maybe what 265, 270 pounds tops. Um, but I mean, yeah, they're just kind of that. And that includes quick, uh, Parker at nose tackle. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, they're just like that quick light. Their linebackers are kind of like safeties almost, and kind of maybe a 6'2", 215-pound type of guys and just not a lot of bulk to them, but they're able to kind of fly the ball. And I guess, I mean, it works out, I guess, for practice for those guys because they're able to to cover uh, Washington State or at least or cover themselves, I guess, on offense. But, um, I mean, you're also – they're putting up maybe 50 points a game as well. So, I mean, they're always refreshed, I feel like, and uh, they're ready to go. So just to wrap up with special teams, uh, Leach really hasn't been a special teams aficionado, but um, he did uh, do better in 2017 and last year with the 79th and 74th S&P defense, or excuse me, special teams. Previously had been ranked in the uh, 120s. Uh, uh, Kicker Blake uh, Maza was 6 for 9 on field goals under 40, but only 4 for 6 over 40. And punter Oscar Dragusevich, the third, uh, held his own, and uh, Travel Harris uh, was decent in kick returns. They are returning all three special teams player. So their projected win is at 7.4. Vegas has a line of eight. Um, As I pointed out previously, in retrospect, um, I really felt like we missed out on Leach. Um. And so uh, we had that previous experience with Sonny Dykes and the air raid here at the University of Arizona. And it was very frustrating for me as a fan because you'd rack up millions of yards between the 20s, but you just couldn't score. Um, and so, you know, I think it would be um, a stretch to say anything. It was anything but a miss to not go after Leach at that time. Um, also, I think one of the additional benefits of bringing Leach in here uh, might have been to establish the poly, reestablish the poly pipeline here uh, as a as a bonus. Um, 
So anyways, I think I'm on board with the whole leech uh, train like you are. Um, that said, two transfer quarterbacks in a row, ah, never mind. Who am I kidding? I'm going to take the over on him. Yeah, no, this will be a personal play for myself, and I think eight will be – I think they can get nine – and I mean, I, I wouldn't put 10 out of the question for them. I don't know. I'm just a huge Wazoo fanboy now, but I will take the over. Nice. Yeah, I think you look at that schedule. You've got New, New Mexico State, Northern Colorado, Houston, UCLA. So out of the gate, they could be 4 0, and you're only looking for five more wins. I think at Utah is obviously going to be tough. I don't, you know, I don't have a good feeling for how they play in the desert, unlike, say, the Washington schools. I mean, excuse me, uh, the Huskies who tend to, you know, struggle down in the desert, but they've also got Colorado um, and um, Oregon State on there. So they only have to mop up just a few more wins in the rest of the obviously down daunting schedule, including at Washington and at Oregon. But we'll get into Oregon. Uh, but that away schedule is pretty rough. Utah. Oregon, Cal, Washington, but I'm still going to take the over. Let's move on to UW. Imagine you go back into time and uh, you tell the the 2008 uh, Washington fans that after going 0-12 under Ty uh, Willingham that they're going to win double-digit games each year, take two of three conference titles, um, they dominate the Apple Cup six years in a row and counting, and they recruit, improve their recruiting um, significantly over that time. And, and yet they're going to feel underwhelmed about how it went uh, over that time. And I think that just shows that the, the whole narrative about uh, Jake Browning and the, quote, disappointment at UW is probably um, something that most fan bases would be uh, pretty happy to take in a minute. Do you think that's a fair uh, criticism of UW fans? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's fair. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, well, I don't know. That's tough, I guess. But um, I can kind of see it only because it's like, okay, you're, I guess the expectations have been lifted where it's like, okay, they have sustained success and now – um, Peterson is kind of the guy and you're on the brink of a college football playoff or you're a favorite to win the North. And, uh, I mean, you're underperforming, I guess, if, if you're actually like going by those standards, like for me, I don't really think like, I don't really think they're that great of a program. They're recruiting great talent, but I don't think that they're college football playoff material, and you know kind of the the dominant team in the pac 12 so uh you know by my standards it's exactly what it is but i guess um you know if you're if you're in that u-dub circle where it's like all right we're expecting you know a top 10 finish yeah i mean you're, you're gonna be underwhelmed there for sure yeah, I think a lot of it too would be chalked up to sort of the you know missed opportunities in the college football playoff, you know not performing very well, and then missed opportunities at Auburn out of the gate last year, and then you know obviously some stumbles last season that sort of pushed them out of any sort of discussion about the college playoffs. But that expectation, I think, is something the fan base 
has. And, you know, they would, they would argue that compared to an upstart like Oregon with, uh, with at Phil Knight U that they're, they are the more historical and dominant program. So it's interesting to see how that, um, football rivalry has evolved sort of like basketball with, um, Arizona and UCLA. It, that said, uh, uh, they're losing quite a bit of talent. Um, think about all the names that are sort of, um, you know, come to dominate Pac-12 football. Quarterback uh, Jake Browning, running back Miles Gaskin, offensive tackle uh, Caleb McGarry, defensive tackle Greg Gaines, linebacker Ben Burkirvan, Tevis Bartlett, DBs Byron Murphy, Taylor Rapp, and JoJo McIntosh. So there's going to be a, a quite a bit of uh, pressure on the much increased Washington Huskies recruiting base to replace all that um, uh, lost talent. So if anybody epitomizes the fans' disappointment with uh, the substantial success of the program, it would be Browning, uh, a four-year starter. Um, his, in 2016, he threw for 3,400 yards, 43 touchdowns, and a, a 167.5 rating that was second only to Baker Mayfield among, among uh, power conference quarterbacks. And you can imagine at that time how uh, enticing he was that he would continue to make the program rise. Um, his passer rating was 147 over his final two seasons. That's pretty good. And he finished his career with a 12,296 12, passing yards and 94 touchdowns. Overall, I think it, it's understandable that he didn't live up to the um, the uh, hopes that Washington fans had. Uh, replace him with Eason, who is a product of Lake Stevens, Washington, which is about 40 minutes from UW. Uh, he was a top five recruit in 2018, signed with Georgia, started for the Dogs in 2016 as a freshman quarterback uh, with head coach Kirby Smart. Um, had some ups and downs, but he finished 2016 with a 20.3 passer rating and a 16-8 to 8 TD uh, to interception ratio. Got hurt in his first game of 2007 and then got Wally pipped by Jake Fromm, uh, who led the Dogs to the national title game. Uh, he's back home now, and he's quite different than Browning at 6'6", 280 with a cannon arm, um, but he's mostly unproven. Um, he's got quite the uh, receiving core at his disposal with Aaron Fuller, who caught 100 passes for 1,349 yards over the last three seasons. His junior caught 58 balls, um, coming up big in the two marquee games, seven catches for 103 yards against Auburn, and then seven for 80 in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. Uh, there's another senior in Andre Barciala. He's a possession receiver. He got 55 uh, catches last year uh, with a team high uh, among primary targets of plus 12.8% uh, marginal efficiency rating. Um, he's these typical uh, short-range possession uh, receivers that are an extension of the run game. Um, junior Ty Jones is a uh, Big former blue chipper uh, who looked great early in 2018 with seven catches for 153 yards in the first two games, uh, but caught um – more than three balls just one more time all year. They've got tight ends uh, Kate Oten and Hunter Bryan, who combined for 24 balls for 412 yards and four touchdowns. They've got Marquis Spiker, Austin Osborne, Trey Lowe, who are all four uh, four-star redshirt rush, uh, who are all four-star redshirt freshman. Uh, Spiker was a top 60 overall prospect and incoming freshman Puka Nakua, who was a top 150 as well. I remember Marquis Spiker and he was, uh, I mean, he's always been a top recruit for the last 
I don't know, two, three years out of Hawkins, and then he might have left um, for another program and transferred around L.A. But I remember he was uh, very sought after, especially when uh, Dante Williams was out here. All right. Offensive coordinator Bush Hamden's uh, a, a more predictable OC. Uh, he runs more than the national average on standard downs and uh, and throwing more on, than the national uh, average on passing downs. Those ratios uh, could shift um, if uh, Salvon Ahmed is going to get more touches. Um, he was the third down back in 2018, averaging 5.9 yards per carry and uh, 7.44 carries per game, catching 21 of 22 passes for 170 yards. Um, presumably, he'll be moving into Gaskin's role, and that'll take five foot seven junior Sean McGrew, who had 50 carries for 226 yards, six catches, and 110 yards uh, into a custom a third down scat back type role. Um, neither of those players are very big. Kamari Pleasant is six foot two fifteen, and redshirt freshman Richard Newton is six foot two thirteen. If they need a, a power back, the line's loaded. Uh, McGarry is a four-year starter and a first-team All-Conference tackle, but the return of six foot eight left tackle Trey Adams, who was first-team All-Consensus in 2016 with 32 career starts from injury, basically gives you Dubs five returning uh, starters. Um, Center Nick Harris was all-conference last year, and UW has 106 career starts up front. Any thoughts on how you expect UW to evolve with the the prototypical physical quarterback attributes and all that returning talent? Uh, I, I mean, for me, it's just always a gamble whenever you bring in one of those transfer quarterbacks. Uh, although I feel like lately it's, well... I don't know. I feel like, it, yeah, to me it's still a mixed bag on on when you bring in a guy like that. And I mean, he did have all of last year to practice with them, so at least he has that going for him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how he pans out, though. Um, you know, he, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's tough, and I know we'll get to the uh, over under in a in a sec, but. Uh, I don't know. UW, yeah, I mean, it's it's well documented how I just think they're kind of meh. So it's hard for me to uh, get out of that mindset. You're like, a, you'd be the perfect Huskies fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So on defense, they finished fourth in the S&P Plus, uh, their third straight year in the top 15. They did so with balance. Uh, they were 10th in rushing S&P and 18th in passing S&P. Uh, they didn't allow big plays. Uh, they held up well in the red zone, allowing just 3.7 points per scoring opportunity. Um, which is 12th in the FBS. Uh, they did so despite ranking 118th in completion rate allowed and 107th in sack rate with a 97th uh, stuff rate and 67th in overall ha ha havoc rating. So um, the best way to, that Bill Conley describes them is the best non-intrusive defense imaginable in 2018. Um, there is a strong correlation, Bill points out, in um, disruption of success for most teams, uh, but the structure created by uh, uh, coordinator Jimmy Lake and co-coordinator Pete Kawatakowski and, and managed on the field by Ben Burkerbin was, uh, you know, was executed perfectly in the disciplined, you know, tackle the guy in front of you and don't allow big plays to get behind you. Sort of like a no doubles uh, baseball defense. Um, there's veterans at each level from linemen and Levi on 
on Wazurki, uh, Benin Pataoye, uh, linebackers Ryan Bowman, Brandon Wellington, and cornerbacks Miles Bryant. Uh, the as I mentioned earlier, there's been quite an uptick in their recent recruiting, um, and there's quite a few uh, freshmen and redshirt freshmen including six former blue chippers on the line, three at linebacker and five in the secondary. Ben burke has gone now. He went to the Seattle Seahawks in the fifth round. Um, safeties Taylor Rapp and JoJo McIntosh are gone. There's plenty of experiences on the edges. Uh, in addition to Bryant, Bowman is sturdy at outside linebacker. There's corner Elijah Molden and Keith Taylor uh, who could be ready for breakthroughs. But one of the areas where the backbone of the defense holds up and reflects on um, turnovers is at inside the linebacker and safeties and losing star in linebacker Ben Burkirvan and both safeties um, after such a successful defensive run um, is potentially daunting for this defense. Um, however, the schedule really does help them out. There's no top 10 matchup and um, versus a team like Auburn. Uh, their first four games are against Eastern Washington, Cal, Hawaii, and BYU. Those teams shouldn't be too much of a test uh, for a transitioning quarterback and a defense that has to anchor its uh, midline. Levi Anawazurki may be the best uh, tackle in the league and has quite a few, um, which has quite a few strong uh, tackles. Uh, special teams, they were 26th in special teams S&P in 2014, 51 in 15 and 26 and 105th and 17 and 117th last year. I think it's weird that a quarterback that's so known for like his attention to detail and uh, consistently, um, you know, you know, whatever OKC type angle would sort of uh, ignore his special teams. Uh, what's your takes on what's your take on special teams and defense, Gabe? Uh, I mean, I love special teams. I am a big advocate for. Um, I guess not only recruiting uh, for special teams and whether that's you know your place kicker, your punter, or your return guys. Like I, I love when you address your needs like that. And to me, it's just a third of the game. I know a lot of people are just not very high or just kind of. Uh, I guess when you say it's a third of the game, they think it's a joke. Um, but for me, like special teams is where te- is where games are won, and so uh, it's always a very important piece for me. Um, throughout my football career, I was a very much a special teamer guy. So um, I mean, that might be a little bit of bias on my end, but um, to me, I'm all for special teams. That's that's where all your effort goes, man. Yeah, I think it's just uh, you know it's it's hidden yards and it's and it's it's easy points. You know, having a kicker that successfully uh, connects on kicks, you know, would change so many wins. Uh, just look at last year, for instance. Uh, projected wins uh, for Arizona uh, specifically. Uh, projected oh, yeah. wins nine point two. Uh, the over under is nine point five. Um, while I'm reticent to, to bet on the transfer quarterback, um, as you point out, that's always a bit of a um, a bit of a gamble. Uh, they have a schedule with Cal, USC, Oregon, Utah, and Washington State at home. Their toughest road game is at Stanford. So I'm going with the over. I don't know. Nine, nine and a half seems a little rich to me. Like that's that's 10 wins and that probably wins you the north i guess so ah man so let's see cal usc 
Oregon, Utah, Washington State at home. Gosh. I, I feel like they're going to lose three games. I think, I mean, that's tough. Like, I, I probably wouldn't touch it. My, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how the rest of these go. Um, I'd be intrigued with the under. I'm, I'm going with the under, but I don't know if this is something that I would necessarily want action on. I don't know. It depends on that, on how degenerate I get, I guess. <laughs> so you're going under then, huh? Oh, yeah. All right. The University of Utah Utes. Um, so, historically, uh, they had already begun to slide when they transitioned to the Pac 12. They had regressed in each of their four. Um, in each of their last two years in the Mountain West, and the slide continued when they got here in their first two seasons at the Pac-12 and bottom out at 58th in the S&P Plus with a 5-7 and seven record in 2012. Uh, they rebounded in 2013, really took advantage of a sort of downward trending Pac-12 South. If you look at uh, the competition that they were competing with as they were changing the trajectory of their program. USC went through three head coaches in four years. Jim Mora, uh, UCLA went sideways after some early success. Both Arizona schools have had uh, two transitions now. Subsequently, the Utes rose from twenty rose to twenty fifth in two thousand seventeen uh, with a seven and six record. Um, but in two thousand eighteen, we all know that they finally broke through and, and won the Pac twelve South. They had uh, seven wins in their final eight regular season games uh, when they got their first uh, Pac twelve South championship. Um, so they they had a pretty fortuitous uh, rise with bad timing in the Pac-12 South. Um, but I would note that four games into the season they were at 500 before going on a four-game win streak. With uh, as noted, the three of those four wins against USC, UCLA, and, and Arizona. Um, I don't expect. So I, I guess it depends on if you're a chicken and the egg guy, Gabe. Would you attribute that more to? Utah improving or the Pac-12 South sliding south, ironically? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think, I mean, Kyle Whittingham's been there for, well, throughout his career, like 20-plus years, but I think as head coach, he's been there for, what, maybe 15 years? Um, and I- he's been there 16 years with an overall record of 120 and 61. Yeah, yeah, so... I mean, I think he finally started to get some some top notch guys going in the in the Pac-12 once he got his uh, first few years in, and they were kind of that low hanging fruit during that transition. But um, I mean, I, I think that they have improved. I think their player development's been great over the last few years. They've been recruiting really well, and then um, you know. It, I, I value that they've had him for that long, uh, especially in a time like when you mentioned how um, it, which it, it's hard to imagine all that happened during his time where you have two coaching changes at Arizona um, and then you just have train wrecks in Los Angeles where, um, you know, he's just kind of had this consistent thing going and was able to take advantage. But um, I do think that they were improving and it was just kind of, uh, uh, odd coincidence that they that even though there wasn't such dominance in the South, every team but Utah had won the Pac-12 South up until last year. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a little bit of both, but I mean, Utah is definitely a program where I think that they'll probably be around for the next couple of years and kind of sustain the success and, um, they'll be hanging around, I think. And especially if USC and UCLA can't get their act together, I mean, um, they, and if, if they come out and, and meet the expectations of a Pac-12 South championship this year, two back-to-back uh, championship years for them, that's that's a pretty solid gig to have going forward. Well, it'd certainly be the exception. I can't think of a team that's had sustained success, uh, you know, repeating that Pac-12 championship that are sort of the outlier. So you look at a school like Arizona, they had their one year of success. ASU had their one year of success. Colorado had their one year of success. And so besides the stronger uh, L.A. schools, it seems like uh, each team sort of jumped up and had their chance to shine. Um, and I, and you could argue that they had those opportunities because the Pac-12 South was, you know, was lacking its traditional power powerhouse in USC. And, you know, I don't know that we would argue UCLA is what they are with recent history, but certainly a team that has, um, excellent recruiting. Anyways, let's move on to the offense. Um, both uh, Tyler Hunley and Jason Shelley return, uh, along with thousand-yard rusher Zach Moss and uh, seven of uh, last year's eight top receiver. However, the line loses two and a half starters. Um, so that's a bit, pretty big change. There is one pretty big change, though. Offensive coordinator uh, Troy Taylor was named the head coach at Sacramento State, uh, subsequently re- replaced by Andy Ludwig. This Troy Taylor had been the first offensive coordinator to have two years in a Coons age out in uh, Salt Lake City. And so um, I thought it was big for their progression on the offensive side. Um, University of Utah finished with an offense of the 45th in S&P and a defense of the 19th, and we're all well aware of how consistently capable their defense is. But a lot of the predictions of them improving and maintaining their Pac-12 South advantage is based on improvement in the offense. And once again, they've lost their offensive coordinator. Uh, Ludwig uh, was Whittingham's first OC hire back in 2005. Uh, Subsequently, he was in Cal, San Diego State, Wisconsin, and Vanderbilt. Um, in four years at Vandy, uh, he improved their uh, offensive S&P from 120th in his first year to 24th um, in his fourth. Zach uh, Moss rushed for uh, 10,096 yards in just nine games before his knee injury. Uh, he should be healthy by fall. Um, junior Devontae Henry Cole is a change of pace back uh, who missed all of 2018 also. Moss is listed at 220 pounds. Um, and the offensive line uh, likely won't list a starter that's under 310 pounds. Uh, four returnees boast a starting experience led by tackle Darren uh, Paulo's 26 career starts. Whittingham added uh, transfers in Washington State's Noah Osser Myers, who's 6'4 and 310, and Marshall's Alex Locklear, who's 6'5, 330 pounds. I think you got to admire Whittingham's ability to bring in the beef both on the offensive and defensive line. Um, and he's subsequently, uh, you know, defined by physicality, especially when they're establishing the run game. Um, 
still uh, Ludwig's um, is known for a pass first offense so it's going to be interesting to see how he deploys Tyler Hundley um, Hundley broke his collarbone in um, the upset loss at Arizona State uh, he and Ma- Moss both uh, missed the last five games um, Shelley looked um, solid taking them to their Pac-12 uh, South title but Utah just scored 23 20- scored just 23 points against Washington Northwestern to end the year. Um, and, it, you know, I would anticipate Hundley's going to come back and recapture his starting position. Uh, pre-injury, Hundley uh, had completed 73% of his passes with a 176.6 passer rating. Um, Utah topped 40 points in four straight uh, conference wins before the collarbone was injured. Uh, the receiving court uh, had a lot to do with that with Brian Covey out of the slot. Uh, Jalen Dixon um, did well in his freshman campaign. He caught 21 balls for 303 yards in the last four games. Uh, Samson Nakua, Damari Simpkins um, all return, as do sophomore tight ends Brant Kuthi and Cole Fotheringham, who combined for 37 catches and 417 yards. Uh, Also sophomore wideout Solomon Enos had 13 catches for 173 yards. What do you think about Utah's offense and the likelihood of them returning to uh, a tick up from their historic uh, performance? Uh, I mean, I I think that they've got a good shot. I mean, they have all the returning pieces and they have the right guys to to come in and replace the old production. Um, So I I think it's going to be dangerous. And um, I mean, we've talked about how teams are relying on defense and I think you can count on Utah to do that. And with the pieces that they have on offense, it's, it'll be a big year for them. So let's move on to the defense. Uh, they improved in 19th in the S&P uh, defense last year. That's the seventh time in the top 25 under Winningham. Um, it was very stout against the run, uh, eighth in marginal run efficiency allowed, and second in stuff rate, stopping 28% of opponent, opponents' rushes at or behind the line. The defensive line returns wholly intact. Uh, they have a foursome of uh, dis- disruptive ends returning, led by senior Bradley Ana, who had 15.5 tackles for loss, eight sacks, 18.5 run stuffs. uh, But the tackle position sets Utah apart, as it always has. Seniors John uh, Penasini at 6'2", 320, and Lecky Fotu at 6'5", 330, with backup Pita Tonga at 6'1", and 300 pounds is the the tiny guy. The beefy uh, defensive tackles uh, in Penasini and and Fotu uh, eat up blockers and make plays. They combine for 12.5 tackles for loss, 5 sacks, and 20 stuff. They've got linebackers Chase Hanson and, and Cody Barton who combined for 32 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks, 43.5 run stuffs, and 13 pa- passes defended. However, linebackers Chase Hanson and Cody Barton who combined for 32.5 tackles for loss, nine sacks, and 43.5 run stuffs, and 13 passes defended are both gone. They return senior uh, rover Francis Bernard. And add three transfers and former Penn State star Manny Bowen, former UCLA blue chipper Mike Juarez, and Stanford sophomore Leone Lund. It gets tougher in the secondary despite uh, a decent pass rush. Utah was only 43 in marginal passing efficiency, 36 on passing downs. 
Uh, they did a, a really good job of forcing third and longs, but they'd let you off the hook occasionally. And that is that was with starting safeties, Corian Ballard and Marquise Blair. They have uh, corner Julian Backman, Blackman who's moving to safety, and an undersized nickel in Javelin Goodry, who had 3.5 tackles for loss and 10 passes defended. The secondary could get a boost if uh, Nevada transfer Nephi Sewell uh, who had six tackles for lost is granted eligibility. They also have uh, veteran corner Jalen Johnson, who picked out four passes la- last year. Overall, solid experience, but the secondary was not as impressive as the front seven. What's your thoughts on Utah's likelihood to repeat their defensive success in the past game? Uh, I like it a lot, and I just think that over the last few years, they've been recruiting really well on that side of the ball. Um, I know Jalen Johnson. I don't know if was he Utah's pick or for Bill Connolly's top defensive player. I don't remember, um, but I know he gets a lot of praise. Um, another guy who was considering Arizona under that Dante Williams window. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like Utah. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess similar to Wazoo's offense for me, um, Utah's defense. I think there's just a lot to like there. And uh, now he I, um, he picked the defensive tackle. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think there's a lot to like on their defense. I think you can always count on them, and especially when you're playing at Utah. Um, I mean, that could just be an absolute riot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to give them the benefit of the doubt on the defensive side. But I would still make my argument that a lot of their expected improvement is related to their offensive progression, and I'm not entirely sure that that's going to happen, although um, I'm not sure how much – uh, you know how well I can make that argument, uh, other than based on historical precedents and, of course, the loss of their offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I don't think we have to belabor uh, special teams too much. Uh, they've been in the top ten for five straight years. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski and Matt Gay are gone, uh, but I think it's pretty reasonable to presume that whoever they bring in is going to be. Um, likely replacements given their history. However, if they do have a fall off there, that might be the difference between uh, a few wins and a few games. And with a projected wins of 8.9 and the latest line in Vegas at nine, I'm going to go with the under. Um, I have a feeling that the regression that uh, several other PAC 12 teams have experienced is going to hit. Additionally, I think, SC is going to improve enough to um, not not allow that easy path to the Pac-12 South champion that they have uh, specifically last year with its with its worst um, you know season in the last twenty eight years. Uh, yeah, this one is tough for me. I mean, it's it's definitely a stay away. I I mean. At best, I think they would push here. I don't think that they're going to hit the over and go 10. Um, so I guess with that logic, I would take the under. Um, I could definitely see an 8-4, and 7-5. and five. Um, 9 and 3 even sounds a little, a little rich to me. So I think I got to hit the under there as well. All right, brother. I got you down for the under on Utah. Let's move on to USC. 
Well, as I mentioned, uh, the Trojans have suffered one losing season in the last 28 years, the last time being uh, uh, 5 and 7 in 2000. Um, subsequently, uh, Clay Helton. Uh, Shuffled quite a bit of his staff. Um, he brought brought in, fired uh, Bowling Green head coach Mike Jinks as his new running backs coach. He hired journeyman Greg Burns as his new DB coach. Brought in Boise State defensive line coach Chad Guata'a to... Uh, to be his defensive line coach and promoted former West Virginia University defensive coordinator Joe DeForest uh, from analyst to outside linebackers coach. Um, I don't think we have to get too much in the Cliff Kingsbury story, but since the Cardinals are a local uh, pro team, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting that the, the, how that whole thing went down. Do you want to spend a little time just kind of laying out your thought process on that? Maybe uh, your thoughts on the Cardinals in that regard? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very interesting because you have a guy who, I mean, obviously um, it's been the whole process of getting fired from Texas tech. Uh, I mean, they were, they, they were, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious as to what his last like five years there looked like, but I feel like they're, you know, a, a bottom half big 12 team going to get you maybe seven wins at the most. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard some things about Lubbock, so I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know everything, but it, it doesn't seem like a great place to recruit or just a great place to, it, it seems like it would be a hard job. And, uh, but to go, to get fired from there, then to, I mean, I feel like it's an upgrade at that point to go to OC at USC when you could have Clay Helen fired and maybe, I mean, I guess maybe Clay Helen isn't getting fired if you're doing a great job as an offensive coordinator, but potentially he goes in line as the next head coach there and uh, who knows what happens there. But then now you get this NFL opportunity where you're getting fired from the college ranks and now a brand new NFL head coach because of your offensive or I guess this trend of young offensive geniuses so um, you know he's got his guy right now with Kyler Murray um, I guess preseason hasn't looked very good for him I haven't been able to watch a whole lot but I mean we'll see what he can do I mean the Cardinals are a big project so uh, maybe it's very similar to what he had at Texas Tech here um, in terms of an uphill battle. But, um, yeah, very odd at USC. I don't remember exactly um, how long he was like committed to USC um, before everything happened. But um, just a very odd sequence of events. And, of course, um, it happens to a program like USC where Clay Helen is just – I mean, the dude should have been fired. I mean, he got his extension after he lost to um, UCLA. Was it to UCLA, yeah. So I mean, it's just like I mean, this guy should have been fired a couple of years ago, and during the middle of seasons. But um, just kind of funny that it happens to him of all guys in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's a little strange. I think their AD, sadly, and Lynn Swan is so absentee and clearly out of his element that it's uh, it's become quite farcical over there. But, um, you know, 
uh, you know, my take on the Cliff Kingsbury angle is that it's probably not going to end well in Arizona is my, my short version. Uh, getting back to SC, uh, Graham Harrell, uh, replaced Cliff Kingsbury. Um, he's like Cliff Kingsbury light. Uh, he was a uh, receivers coach under Mike Leach for two years and then North, North Texas's coordinator. Um, he did well in Denton. Um, he had an offense that was ranked 126 the year before his arrival and hadn't been ranked better than 80th since uh, the 90s uh, and took him to 65th. 65th by a second year and held steady in the 60s. Um, they went from averaging 15 points per game before his arrival to 25 in his first year and 35 in his next two. Um, continuing with the offense, they they were 46 in standard uh, down success rate and 43rd in big play rate in open play situations and 53 in passing marginal efficiency, 49th and 3rd in medium success rate. Those are all pretty solid rankings, and that was the best SC could uh, marshal last season. They were 103rd in blitz down success rate, 107th in blitz down sack rate. Um, anything beyond third and medium in the drive was pretty much over. Plus, they were really bad uh, in the red zone with just 4.2 uh, points per scoring opportunity, uh, which is 101st in FBS. Um, the receiving cores do return some big receivers in Tyler Vaughns and um, Brown and Michael Pittman Jr., and obviously, uh, JT Daniels had a real good rapport with Amon Ross St. Brown. Let me say that again. Uh, the receiving core returns three uh, very good receivers in Tyler Vaughn's, Michael Pittman Jr., and the obvious connection between uh, JT Daniels and Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, all were targeted at least 80 times last year. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was a particularly efficient option. Uh, Pittman was sort of all or nothing, and uh, Vaughn's was somewhere basically in between. Uh, last year's leading rusher, Aka Cedric Ware, um, is now gone. Uh, they have returnee, returnees, Viave, uh, Malapai, and uh, Stephen Carr, who combined for 174 carries and caught 23 of 27 passes last year, with uh, Carr being a former top 20 recruit. Um, and, of course, at USC, there's the typical uh, class of blue chippers, including sophomore receiver Devin Williams, redshirt freshman back Marquis Stepp, and incoming freshman Brew McCoy. Uh, and, you know, with the most bizarre post-commitment day transfer, not transfer, insert eye roll here, uh, scenarios, Kyle Ford, Drake London, tight end Ethan Ray. Um Sophomore uh, Jack Sears at quarterback was efficient in his lone appearance, going 20 for 28 for 235 yards against Arizona State. Uh, but the assumption is Daniels will retain his job. Uh, his freshman year was quite the roller coaster. Uh, he was overwhelmed in losses at Stanford and Texas, uh, but began to improve before a midseason concussion, um, which caused him to miss ASU, threw him off. In his first three games where they went one and two, he had a 57% completion rate, 12.2 yards per completion with a 113.8 rating. In his next three games where they went three and oh, he was a 60% completion rate, 14.1 yards per completion and a 149.8 passer rating. And then in his last five games where they went one and four, he had a 61% completion rate, 11.6 yards per completion and a 128.1 passer rating. 
They do um, have to rebuild their offensive line. Three starters are gone, including all-conference tackle Chuma Adoga. Uh, but there is a silver lining. Uh, a lot of the guys saw action with the injuries last year. Um, and they do have Tennessee grad transfer Drew Richmond. So there's six guys with starting experience. What do you think about the defensive prospects for USC, Gabe? Um, yeah, uh, that I don't know too much about. Um They've, I mean, I, I, they have the talent as we've seen with their, um, with their recruiting trends and such. I mean, I, I don't know if there's, are, are they supposed to be one of the better groups in the Pac-12 here? Twenty uh, sixth projected. Okay. So that's very good. So okay, so they're that's nationally. Yeah. So. Okay, so they're they're supposed to be rock and rolling on defense. So, um, yeah, I if mean, you look at like Conley's little uh, you know flow chart, their their explosiveness was was pretty good. I mean, it went Arizona, Stanford, CU, OSU, and then SC, uh, but their percent efficiency was sort of middle of the road, down down by Arizona, Stanford, and Oregon State. <laughs> yeah, I mean, defense is going to have to be the key for them in order to keep JT right and just let him still kind of find his groove, I guess. All right. Um, uh, on defense, uh, Clancy Pendergast uh, is here, is there for a second stint. Um, they slipped to 24th in 2017 and then subsequently to 34th last year. Um, it does seem a little strange to make excuses for SC with all the recruiting. Uh, however, um, only one of six regular linebackers played all 12 games. Uh, star Porter Gustin was on his way to a 20 uh, tackle for loss season, but missed the last six contest contests. And the defensive back rotation was uh, pretty extensive. Um, they rank 21st in offensive returning production, but are 118th on defense, uh, primarily because of losses in the secondary. Five of uh, last year's top six defensive backs are gone, including draftees Amon Marshall and Marvell Tell III. Um, However, with all the injuries, the replacements did see quite a bit of playing time. There are quite a few exciting sophomores on the defensive back eight, and but they're still going to be young, including Greg Johnson, Oliaja Griffin, uh, Talanoa Hufanega, and Isaiah Palamoa. Uh, linebackers, uh, Palate Quixote IV and Kiana Magua were all, all high-level recruits, too. They do have senior, and linebacker, senior linebackers, John Houston Jr. and Junior um, OCFA, who are going to have to carry uh, most of the leadership requirements for the young defense. The defensive line is also um, quite young, including ends uh, Christian Rector. The defensive line is quite young, too, with only in Christian Rector as a senior. They have sophomore tackles in Jay Tufele, Marlon Tuapulato, and um, Junior nose tackle Brandon Pilly, Juco end uh, Nick Figueroa, and freshman Drake Jackson will likely be in the rotation on the defensive line. Any thoughts on their defense? Uh, I like that they have some of those pieces like Drake Jackson, 
Um, I absolutely loved him in that last cycle. I'm not a huge Clancy Pendergast fan. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's... Uh, Maybe that's Helton's doom right there, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's it, they've been underperforming, like, like you said. Um, it is hard for them to make excuses when you have those that recruiting. But um, I mean, it's it's up to yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. That's it's a very underperforming group as of late. So they got to pick it up this year. On special oh, teams, yeah. the. Um, they return most of the unit with the exception of their punter. They have return men Velas Jones Jr. and Tyler Vons with kickoff specialist Alex Stethius. Um, the loss of the punter isn't such a big deal since they ranked 112th in punting efficiency, so a new punter probably isn't the worst thing on earth. Their projected wins is 6.5 with Vegas at 7. So if my postulation that Utah and, and other teams in the Pac-12 historically have really jumped up because of SC's sort of absence. Um, if I'm thinking Utah is not going to have the opportunity to come back and 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 uh, repeat as Pac-12 South, I think uh, SC is going to have to be a big um, returning to any sort of success and promise is going to have to be a big part of that. Um, they do host Stanford, Utah, and Oregon, and their toughest road games are at uh, UW and Notre Dame. Um, I count seven possible to likely wins in Fresno State, BYU, unfortunately us, based on talent alone, CU, ASU, Cal, and UCLA. So that means they only have to get one out of Ferd, Utah, UW, Notre Dame, and Oregon. So right now I like um, SC better than, say, the Ducks or Utah for hitting the over, and I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, this is just one where I, I think I think seven's a little low, and I think you just have to kind of bank on the collective group of talent that they have. And I don't know, JT's second year, and then maybe Graham Harrell can, can get a lot out of him. But I think seven's a little low where I think you just have to take the over, in my opinion. Done. Took an... All right, let's move on to UCLA. All right, UCLA, Chip Kelly. Uh, he spent six years at Oregon, two as a coordinator, four as a head coach, and his offense has never ranked worse than 16th in offensive S&P, and they were in the top five in each of the last three seasons. Kelly's last winning season as a coach at any level came in 2014. Uh, his return to the Pac-12 last year was uh, produced a 3-9 and nine season. Uh, I'm curious, Gabe, where do you come in on the Kelly hire? Uh, not a huge fan. Uh, I think, like you just said, I, he, it's just been a rough stretch for a man, and I think he just kind of had a – a good thing up at Oregon for a short bit of time. And I don't know if things just caught up to him or if he just hasn't evolved as a coach, but I, I don't know. I feel like he's just got a lot of, I guess, flash or juice behind his name that get people excited. But for me, I, I don't think he's a guy that can really turn things around at USC, UCLA. I'm not, expecting a whole lot and i guess we'll get into that um as we continue to break them down but for me i'm not a huge chip kelly guy agree agree um 
Their previous coach, uh, Jim Morris, UCLA, uh, regressed an S&P Plus uh, for three of his last four seasons. When Kelly finally came to uh, UCLA, um, the the two deep was without 2017's top two quarterbacks, Josh Rosen, who was obviously drafted by the Cardinals and now subsequently traded to Miami, and Devin Monster, who has subsequently transferred. They didn't have their top two running backs from 2017, Olo, uh, Bolu Olo and uh, Soso uh, Jamambo, uh, who combined for 36 carries, the top two receiving targets, four offensive linemen with 112 starts, uh, three of the top five defensive linemen, and three of the top five linebackers. Um, Wilton Spate, uh, who's a transfer, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who are freshmen, took the snaps. Um, And returning players who were freshmen or sophomores last year accounted for 194 passes, 117 carries, 150 pass targets, 156 pass targets, 32 offensive line starts, 304 tackles, 16 tackles for loss, and 36 passes defended, and a punt return touchdown. So needless to say, Chip Kelly had a lot of turnover from Jim Mora's downtrending uh, UCLA team. Uh, they started out 0-5 with blowout losses to Oklahoma, Fresno State, and Colorado, but became more competitive, if inconsistent. Um, they lost to Washington and Stanford by only seven points each. They beat Cal, Arizona in that game with Rich Rod, or Little R, Little R, uh, starting and USC, but they still finished just 76 in S&P Plus. Um, the only true difference maker that's leaving the program uh, is Caleb Wilson, who's now ironically an Arizona Cardinal. Um, whether the, the Bruins are going to improve not under uh, Chip Kelly, which neither of you nor I seem to expect, they play only two teams projected lower than 60th in the S&P and um, are only a favorite, a projected favorite in one game. So it's a pretty brutal schedule. Um, on offense, uh, Dorian uh, Thompson-Robin uh, looked like he had turned a quarter. Um, he's a, a blue chip, former blue chip uh, freshman. Went uh, 27 for 38 for 272 yards against Washington. Uh, then uh, 13 for 15 for 141 and a, a 37-17 win at Cal. The um, Bruins' first one of the year. But he was 5 for 8 for 103 yards and a touchdown early against Arizona uh, before the Wildcats. Uh, Colin Schooler um, tackled on the ground, and he left the game with an injured shoulder. Uh, he missed Utah next week and went just 9 for 23 against Oregon. Uh, Spate ended up starting the rest of the year, and... Um, you know, it was a difficult season for uh, Chip Kelly's evolving offense. Uh, they had sophomore Austin Burton, uh, who had a solid spring. Kelly recently added four-star redshirt freshman uh, Colson Yankoff, uh, a transfer from Washington, uh, but his eligibility is still questionable. Uh, Spate carried 26 times. Um, which uh, wasn't much of a surprise, uh, but Dorian Thompson-Robbins, 31 carries weren't much more. Um, However, in surprising developments, Joshua Kelly uh, produced very strong efficiency numbers. He was a UC Davis transfer who had a 48% success rate, um, while both Olof Runfundme and uh, Jamambo were dealing with concussion issues. Uh, Kelly subsequently took over as a feature back in the fourth game of the year and rushed for 90 yards in at least 
seven games uh, and just absolutely obliterated USC with 40 carries and 298 yards and two scores. Uh, he is returning for a senior year. They do return senior center boss Tagaloa and sophomore guard uh, Chris Stefani Murray. Um, they're two of four returning starters up front, and they have incoming freshman Sean Ryan, uh, who was the highest ranked player in the 2019 class. Kelly uh, did promote his offensive line coach, uh, Justin Fry, to offensive coordinator to take over the play calling from himself. Um, Theo Howard and sophomore Chase Coda and uh, former blue chipper sophomores like Michael Ezeke, Kyle Phillips and tight end Devin Asasi um, will be a big part of the offense going forward. You had some interesting thoughts on, um, and early on, I think you picked up how bad UCLA was going to be on offense. What do you, what do you think about their prospects this year, Gabe? Uh, I mean, when you're going through the names, I mean, it doesn't look like, or it doesn't sound like they have like, I mean, or I guess it, I should say, it sounds like they have a lot of good pieces there that they can work with. But uh, I mean, I think um, Wilton Spate was just a not good quarterback at all, um, and so I guess the hope is that you have DTR ready to go into his second year, and you know, showed some good stuff, but. You know, obviously ending the season with an injury isn't great um, for your progression. So I, I think they have some good pieces. I just don't know exactly how they I, – I just I just don't think that Chip Kelly is going to be able to do a whole lot with them. They have um, the recruiting history as well, and, and they're all there. I, they have Martel Irby coming up uh, behind Kelly as well. I'm, I'm just I just can't really get past Chip Kelly. They have the pieces though. Um, I just don't know. I just don't see it though. All right. Well, let's move on to defense. It's interesting. Kelly brought in um, defensive coordinator Jerry Zanario, and then linebacker coach Don Pelham. And his struggles up at Oregon are pretty well documented to Pac-12 uh, fans. Um, they were. Uh, 117th in uh, inside the 10 success rate and 104th on goal line success rate. Um, they do have lots of real nice young DBs, junior safety, Quentin Lake, corners, Darnay Holmes, Elijah Gates, uh, combined for 20 passes defended. They also have sophomores, uh, Stefan Blaylock at safety and Jay Shaw at corner uh, with a huge class of um true and redshirt freshman. Uh, the secondary is probably going to be pretty good and certainly the strong point of the defense. Outside linebacker uh, Kessian Lucier-South led the team with just four sacks. Um, and Osa Ogadegaziwa uh, was uh, solid in run but only had three stacks. Uh, but that's two more than anybody else on the line managed. Um, linebackers uh, Lucier-South and, and Kreis uh, Barnes Combined for 21.5 uh, tackles for loss, 25 run stuffs, and 14 passes defended. And they're going to have to be a key part of the front seven for a UCLA that has a pretty decent secondary. What do you think about their defensive prospects, Gabe? Uh, I, again, I mean, I think that they recruited well and they have the pieces. I, I mean, I don't know. 
a whole lot about their defensive coordinator, but I can't imagine that Chip Kelly has a whole lot of, uh, I guess, uh, benefit on defense, uh, just given his track record of just being an offensive guy. Um, they have pieces. It, it seems like it could be nice, but I just, I don't know. I just see you UCLA as just a dysfunctional organization right now. Those defensive uh, coaching hires are sure head scratchers. Um, they're ranked 19th in special teams S&P Plus. Um, they have kicker J.J. Molson, uh, who was 100% inside 40 and 7 for 12 beyond. Punter Stefan Flintoff uh, is 30th in punt efficiency. Um, the kicker's back, but they lost their punter. They have Maryland transfer Wade Lees, uh, who had similar efficiency numbers, averaging uh, five more yards per punt. Um, net average after returns and touchback was nearly the same. Projected by uh, Bill at 4.9. Um, Vegas has them at six wins. I, I, I don't even know what to make of that number. I, I, took, I think it's like WTF, take the under. That's my take on it. Yeah, no, this is this is certainly a personal play uh, on the under here. Um, I mean, they could they they could lose to Cincinnati very easily to start the season. Um, actually, let me pull up their schedule. I know that uh, they. Have, I got it for you right here, brother. Okay, cool. So I, I know that uh, like Oklahoma or Texas is in there somewhere. So August 31st at Cincinnati, they have a 35% win probability. Uh, September 7th, uh, they host San Diego State. They have a 52% win probability. September 14th, Oklahoma, 13% win probability. Uh, Washington State, a 32% win. Air, at Arizona, 39% win. Oregon State, 81%. At Stanford, 29%. Arizona State, 49%. Colorado, 59%. At Utah, 20%. At USC, 28%. And they wrap up the year with California with a 55% uh, win probability, which I find head-scratching. I mean... You're talking like absolute best case. This is like five wins. Yeah, apparently uh, San Diego. I mean, San Diego State's projected S and P plus is fifty four. It's not like they've dropped off the earth. But I think if you if you threw out what Oregon State, uh, Colorado, you know, I don't even know that California is like a guaranteed win there to be right. honest with you. Not with um, yeah, not with UCLA. I mean, maybe Stanford. You know, this could be another three-win season. Yeah, I mean, I they very well could. I mean, they could start the season zero and three for sure. Zero and four, I guess, with Washington State. All right, so we're both on. We're heavy on the under train for UCLA. All right, let's move on to Stanford. Yes! So since 2013, uh, Shaw's uh, Cardinal haven't lost to a team that finished with a losing record. They also haven't beaten all that many very good teams over the last five years. They're nine and 17 against teams that finished with nine or more wins, and 39 and two against everyone else. Uh, Stanford rate versus teams ranked 31st or better in the S&P. They're 0 and 4. Uh, average score of their opponent, uh, 37, Stanford 25 yards per play. Opponent, 6.3, Stanford 6. Um, 
average percentile performance, 58th percentile, with Costello's passer rating at 143.7. Stanford versus teams between 32 and 75th, they're 6 and 0. Uh, average score, Stanford's 24, opponent 14. Yards per play, Stanford 5.7, opponent 5.4. Average percentile performance, 64th. Costello's rating, 158.4. And teams that are ranked 76 or worse, Ferd's 3 and 0. Average score, 42 for Stanford, opponent 23. Plays per yard, Stanford 7, opponent 5.4 with an average percentile of 58. And Costello's passer rating climbs all the way up to 166.9. Um, Stanford loses quite a bit. Uh, running back Bryce Love with all his injuries last year. The outstanding wide receivers of J.J. Arcega and Trenton Irwin. Uh, top tight end, Caton Smith. And four of five Alliance starters are gone. Um, however, all world left tackle Walker Little um, is um, not the worst starting point to have uh, on your left tackle coming back. Um, Shaw has pretty consistently filled an elite unit on on either offense or defense, but he's never managed to put both together, and he's never managed. Um, he's had three offenses finish 16th or better in offensive S&P, um, but averaged uh, a 46.3 on defense those years. And he's had four defenses that ranked 12th or better, but averaged an offense of 44.8 in those years. Kind of a strange um, uh, consistently inconsistent in being able to deliver on those two different uh, aspects of the game. Um, in 2018, I think, you know, with the preseason Heisman buzz, everybody thought uh, Love was going to be quite the running back uh, with in having lost four or five, a very experienced offensive line. Uh, they proceeded to rank 107th in rushing S&P Plus and 8th in passing. Um, over 24% of their non-sack carries were stuffed or held behind the lines. Um, and you could see that pretty early on in that San Diego uh, game right out of the gate in the out-of-conference. So Love obviously battled knee and ankle injuries from the first snap of the season, um, and they the line didn't have a single guy who started all 13 games. Uh, Stanford uh, slowly transitioned into a, a passing offense. Uh, Costello averaged 28 passes per game in September, uh, but 38 for the rest of the season. Um, despite being pretty much a one-dimensional offense, he completed 65% of his passes and finished with a 16th in overall passer rating. Um, obviously, it didn't hurt to have Arcega, Whitehide, Arcega, Whiteside, Irwin, and Smith. Um, and Stanford finished 26th in offensive S&P, S&P Plus, only 10 spots worse than 2017. Um, we're going to find out this year if it was Costello with receivers, um, with so many people leaving. I, I think that you know, obviously that spate of wide receivers was quite exceptional, but I think, you know, Costello, I think he's acquitted himself quite nicely, um, despite all the, the unexpected transitions they experienced last year and, and having it sort of thrust on himself. What do you take on his performance at this point? Do you think he can sort of elevate the team to the next level, uh, having lost all that wide receiver talent? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough because I, I like him as a quarterback, but when you're losing that much production and I mean, especially our Sega Whiteside, I mean, that guy, uh, I mean, he was something else. And I think he ended up with the Eagles perhaps. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but 
um, just losing a guy, even if you were just losing him um, alone, that would be tough to overcome. And now you're getting this bigger group of guys. I mean, you're going to have to go a lot more run heavy um, this year, and you're without Bryce Love now. And I mean, he wasn't healthy, but um, you're going to have to get a back that can uh, really take over now. And I, I mean, I, I love Costello as a quarterback. I like David Shaw a lot, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if he is a guy that instantly can make other receivers better. I think he definitely. Um, had the benefit of that group last year. All right. I actually think I'm going to put my money on Costello, but we'll see. He does get back uh, tight end uh, Colby Parkinson, uh, who's a junior and uh, was easily the most explosive of the primary targets at 16.7 yards per catch, but wasn't nearly as efficient as the others. Um, he's a former top 40 recruit. Um, uh, Stanford currently has six four-star freshmen, a red shirts freshman. Uh, so Stanford currently has six four-star freshmen, red shirt freshmen, or sophomores at wideout, uh, including uh, sophomore Osiris St. Brown, um, who looked uh, very much the part, gaining 204 yards and just eight receptions. Three more young blue chippers and Michael Wilson, Connor Weddington, and Simi Fikoa, um, who had 24 catches, who combined for 24 catches. Uh, anytime you talk about Stanford, I think you have to use the appropriate names for their uh, for their coaching staff. So the Andrew Luck, uh, director of offense, uh, Tavita Pritchard's a lifer at Stanford. Um, he has little coming back at left tackle. He also has uh, juniors uh, Devery Hamilton and uh, Dylan Powell with sophomore Drew Dahlman, who have combined for 21 career starts up front, along with sophomore uh, recruit uh Blue chip recruit Foster Sarrell. Um, so it's not like the offensive line is lacking for talent as they pretty consistently recruit excellent uh, offensive linemen. On defense, uh, the Willie Shaw director of defense, Lance Henderson, uh, played very conservatively, not surprisingly. Uh, Stanford was 39th in marginal explosiveness, but but 87th in marginal efficiency and 61st in overall havoc rate, uh, which is reflective of a bend but don't break uh, defense. Um, it's encouraging that nine freshmen and sophomores made over half of Stanford's havoc plays, such as tackles for loss, passes defended, and forced fumbles, uh, including Paulson Adebo, um, who's maybe the best cornerback in the Pac-12, despite his redshirt freshman status. Uh, he defended 23 passes, second in FBS, only behind Virginia's uh, Bryce Hall, and recorded 3.5 tackles for loss and three uh, run stuffs as well. Uh, along with Adebo, there's junior Obi Ebou and sophomores Kendall Williamson, um, giving Stanford one of the most exciting linebacker groups in the conference, despite losing Elijah Holder uh, of, and um, the starter Elijah Holder. Uh, they also return safety uh, Malik Antoine. Uh, defensive line returns mostly intact. Seven linemen recorded at least two tackles and six were freshmen or sophomores, uh, including Michael Williams, who is a leading tackler up front. Uh, despite lining up mostly in a two-gap system, um, 
ends uh, Jovan Swan and Thomas Booker combined for 11 tackles and uh, eight sacks. Uh, the majority of turnover comes out at linebacker where four of last year's primary seven are gone. Uh, Jordan Fox, Gabe Reed, and Casey Tuhill, uh, Stanford's most active linebacker, recording seven havoc plays in seven games but missing six games with two different injuries are all back. Uh, but they were all outside linebackers last year. Stanford has a lot of um, defensive talent. Uh, but the middle of the defense at inside linebacker and safety is where most of the turnover occurs. What's your thoughts on the likelihood of the defense returning to prominence, Gabe? I mean, so for me, I guess, I mean, not quite to the point of Mike Leach and Wazoo, but for me, I always feel like I have to believe in David Shaw, and I will get to that uh, in a little bit when we talk about the over-under, but, um, you know, pieces maybe not quite there, but... I don't know. I, I feel like I just got a bank on them. I did for me. It's and I guess I'm getting into it a little bit too much, but for me, it's hard to believe that he doesn't get them in a better spot than last year. Uh, I just I I I have to have faith in David Shaw. I think. All right, let's just bang out at special teams and we'll get to the picks. Pete uh, Alomar is the uh, current um, direct uh, special teams coach and probably will be a named uh, position coach in the future uh, as he's brought quite a bit of um, consistency and uh, good performance to the Cardinals. Uh, Stanford is ranked eighth or better in special teams S&P Plus in each of the last four seasons. And with the return of uh, Tet Joner, uh, Jet Toner, uh, he'll have a chance to make it five straight years. He does have to break in a new punter and punt returner. Projected win 6.7. Vegas has them at 6.5. I do think this is a crazy tough schedule. They've got Northwestern. They're at SC. They take on University of Central Florida. They got Oregon at home, UW at home, and then they go to Washington State University. We talked about how Washington State's had uh, Stanford's number. Um, uh, still, um, if they can win their other five games against Oregon State, UCLA, Arizona, which I think is a bad matchup for us, CU and Cal, they only need two of seven to break the over. So I'm going to go with the over, Gabe. Yeah, so I mean, kind of like I was alluding to, I just, I, for me, kind of another one that feels a little low, um, and I got to bank on kind of the talent that they've accumulated and just their brand of football and David Shaw and I, I got to go with the over here, perhaps a personal play here that will eventually, I guess, with this in USC is going to bump out. Uh, was it the Washington pick? Yeah. Um, I, I think I think this might get thrown into the personal play here. So let's uh, move on to Oregon State. So if you, if you stop back and think about the sort of history of, of Oregon State rising to prominence, it involves both uh, Mike Riley and new quarterback, um, or new um, head coach Jonathan Smith at quarterback. 
With Mike Riley taking a job as a former USC offensive coordinator and then subsequently handing the, the reins to uh, Dennis Harrison, the team continued to evolve. But in 2000, uh, Jonathan Smith was a walk-on quarterback. The Beavers won seven games and attended their first bowl since 1964. And then in 2001, they had TJ Hushmanzada and Chad Johnson, and they went 11-1 and uh, to finish the season with a 10-point win over number five Oregon and a 32-point win over number 10 Notre Dame and they ended up number four in the country their highest finish ever and it was it was Jonathan Smith who was quarterback that year so he certainly has a lot of presence in Oregon State lore and so I'm not surprised they brought him back uh, to run the program as we make the transition to more modern history uh, the 2000 state Oregon State defense uh, which was Gary Anderson's last year uh, running the program was a fourth worst team in power conference football and uh, of the last 14 seasons and yet last year they were able to do worse um, Oregon State um, was the worst uh, a defensive S&P uh, in the last between 2005 and 2018 so the last 13 years um, the offense uh, does have some promise um, with uh, starting quarterback Jake Luton and 1,300-yard rusher, uh, true freshman Jamar Jefferson, um, and all but one member of the receiving uh, core returns. Um, but it, that may not matter if the defense can't go from historically bad uh, to just kind of bad, and I think U of A fans can relate to that. Um, so for the second straight year, um, quarterback Jake Luton missed quite a bit of time with injury. Um, four games with an ankle injury was uh, far less than his previous year where he had the spinal injury. Um, um, almost immediately after getting hurt, uh, Connor Blount came in. Um, he did return in week three and played well against Nevada, but then missed another month. Uh, Blount took the job but ended up dealing with both shoulder and concussion injuries. Then they had Jack, Jack Coletto, who got a two-game addition and bombed, and then Luton eventually got his job back. Luton and Costello both return. Uh, Blount transferred, um, but there's a new candidate for the starting job in Nebraska transfer, former blue chipper Tristan Gebbia. Have you heard anything about him, Gabe? Um, I I know of him. I don't know if anything has arisen since his transfer there. But yeah, Calabasas kid and Highly recruited, for sure. Uh, coordinator uh, Brian uh, Lindgren, uh, who came uh, to Corvallis from Colorado, um, you know, really leaned heavily on the short passing and running game. Um, Luton and Blount both completed about 62% of their passion uh, passes, and Oregon State ranked 44th in marginal and uh, passing marginal efficiency, 35th on standard downs. Um, but things uh, got rough for the Beavers once they got behind schedule. Um, Isaiah Hodges uh, played very well when he had Luton at quarterback. He's a junior from uh, uh, California. He caught 47 passes for 690 yards and, and five scores with Luton. The other six game, he, he only had 12 receptions for 186 yards and no scores. Uh, senior uh, Trevin Bradford also produced better with uh, Luton on the field. However, Jamar Jefferson uh, wasn't as effective when Luton was on the field. Um, Luton's not very elusive, and both Blount and Costello um, had a little more scrambling ability. Um, apparently, the scrambling ability made a big difference in Jamar Jefferson getting loose. Um, 
Um, he rushed for 793 yards or 7.4 yards per carry and 10 touchdowns in games without Luton. In games with Luton, he had 587 yards or 4.4 yards per scare per carry and two scores uh, left side of the line with guard uh, Gus Lavaca and Blake Brandell return combined for 67 starts. Uh, the other four players with starting experience are gone. Um, it could uh, make it pretty tough on um, Jamar Jefferson to repeat his freshman success with Luton returning and the loss of so many linemen of note uh, Arizona center center, Nathan Elridge, um, is uh, Eldridge is um, is in the mix this year along with sophomore Tyjon Lindsey, um, who is a Nebraska transfer. Any thoughts on uh, Nathan uh, going up to Oregon State or how their offense might evolve with the big transition on the line? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense that Nathan went up there because he'll be up there with uh, Coach Mahalchek, and he was with Nathan for, I guess, uh, probably three years uh, out of his uh, – no, I, hmm. I don't know. I mean, he was with them from the start, and he recruited him, so um, I think that could be a good spot for him. He'll probably go in and start right away, uh, barring any injuries, uh, such as the one that kept him out for last year. Uh, I mean, I think that they've got uh, – They've got a lot of pieces there that can that can help give them some push and, and get their offense going. But um, I mean, I don't know. Just their talent level is just so much further down there. And and uh, I really like this that recruiting versus actual chart. And just referring back to that, I think Oregon was like sixty six to one oh six actual. Um, yeah, Oregon State. So. Yeah, so not great. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to the D. Um, Tim uh, Tebasar um, was a former defensive coordinator at North Dakota, Kansas State, uh, the Montreal Alouettes, and Purdue. Um, he had spent three seasons as Wisconsin's outside linebacker coach uh, before coming out west, west to run Smith's defense in 2018. Um, he had one disruptive player and linebacker, uh, Hamilcar Rashid Jr., who had 11.5 tackles for loss, um, which to say they weren't very disruptive with a 125th uh, havoc rate. Uh, but just about everybody's back. That includes two of the three linemen um, uh, had that were taking the most snaps, including 385-pound Elu Aiden, uh, seven of eight primary linebackers, including Rashid, and eight of nine DBs, uh, plus uh, two injured safety sophomore David Morris and senior Omar Hicks Anu. Um, they also signed three junior Juco linemen and a pair of four-star linebacker transfers in Oklahoma's Addison Gums and Nebraska's Avery Roberts. Um, apparently, Nebraska's trade with OSU was Mike Riley for three players to be named later. Uh, is Bill's little joke in there. But they were very active in the JUCO market, picking up a lot of uh, higher-level P5 players that were looking for uh, starting opportunities. Um, any thoughts on um, on the defense there, Gabe? Uh, I mean, again, yeah, like they've just had a lot of transfers in um, with uh, Smith up there and 
I mean, you th- maybe they can piece something together. I mean, it just seems like it's a bunch of patchwork right now, and um, you know they're just trying to find something that works for them. But I mean, they just gotta plug and play down up there. On special teams, uh, they've got Jordan uh, Chuker, um for kickoffs and long field goals. Uh, he did miss some short kicks. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez is accurate. Uh, he averaged uh, 41.9 yards per punt, uh, which isn't that great, but it isn't awful. Uh, but he didn't allow a lot of returns. He had also had 11 uh, punts down inside the 20 with zero touchbacks. Um the return game, however, was not good. Projected wins 2.5. Vegas has got them. Excuse me. Projected wins 2.6. Vegas has them at 2.5. So, gosh, I mean, three seems like such a plausible number of wins off the cuff. Um, but if you look at the schedule, they've got Oklahoma State, Ferd, Utah, at Cal, at Arizona, UW, at Washington State and at Oregon. Uh, that means at Hawaii, at UCLA, and ASU are two of the three with the only sure th- with the only sure game being them hosting Cal Poly. Uh, but watching ASU lose on November 6th sounds fantastic. So I'm just going to take the over. Uh, yeah, that's that's a bold choice. I think I got to go under here. I I think two is the is the perfect call here. <laughs> 